When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Dive in to Gotta Watch the Tape, the new Orange and Brown Talk podcast from Cleveland.com. This is our thing we do twice a week. It's new, but you're getting the hang of it. Doug Lay Maurice, Scott Patchko, Ellis Williams. Two big Cleveland Browns podcasts. No, two big topics in every podcast. We go one on Tuesday, one on Friday. About a half an hour breakdown on things that you really care about with the Cleveland Browns on this Tuesday podcast. Scott Pasco on the Browns run defense in a segment that I like to call, and I think we can put this in parentheses around every defensive segment we do for the Browns this year. It could be worse, right? It could, it's bad, but it could be worse. So let's try to find things that aren't quite as terrible. So Scott's going to explain how good this run defense is, and is it really good? Then in the second half, Ellis Williams will get into Nick Chubb, the injury, out for a while, how the Browns should be able, will be able to survive in the run game without their number one back. But we're going to go with Scott Patsko first. Scott Patsko, dive in on Gotta Watch the Tape. All right, so we're going to talk about the run defense. And I think before we do this, and really we could have done this the first three weeks of the season as well, we're only four games into the season just keep that in mind. Things could change. But I think it's important to note how far this run defense has come in this short amount of time. Because if you look at last year, no matter how you want to measure it, they were bad. They were 30th in yards per game, 144 uh, rushing yards against. Uh, PFF grade, they were 30th. DVOA, 30th. So pretty much the bottom of the barrel all last season. As we all remember, the defense just became a mess of different players in and out, injuries, suspensions. Uh, the defensive line just became something totally different over the second half of the season, and, and the run defense really kind of reflected that. <clears throat> this season, things have really turned around. They are fifth in yards per game allowed. They're only allowing 91 yards rushing per game so far this season. They're 12th in PFF grade, and they're 10th in DVOA, which, again, um, maybe at some point we'll get to – uh, the point where we don't have to explain DVOA, but basically it measures you against the league average. And, uh, and so they're doing pretty well in that. Before we get into, you know, some specific players and, and maybe some, some reasons why this is better, I wanted to, to point out a couple of general uh, differences that really stand out uh, this year compared to last. One is first downs. Uh, last year, the Browns were given a 5.7 yards a carry on first down. On first and five, it was eight yards a carry. So teams knew they could run on the Browns early, and they were doing it. <clears throat> they got 36 first downs rushing against the Browns last season. This year, it's 3.9 yards a carry on first and 10. Ooh, that's better. Opponents have only gained one first down rushing so far this season on first down. So that's a huge difference. The other thing, uh, big runs. Football Outsiders has their, their, uh, their metrics, uh, second-level yards and open field yards. Uh, so you're looking at like five to ten yards beyond the line of scrimmage, and then 10-plus in open field yards on runs. Uh, the Browns are eighth in second-level yards and sixth in open field yards, so they're not allowing big plays on the ground. They were 30th in both those categories last year. Uh, the last thing is uh, kind of direction that teams are running. Last year, teams averaged five yards a carry pretty much wherever they ran, except for uh, right guard and left tackle. Those were a little below that, but basically – uh, they were they were giving up yards wherever they were. They were ranked 32nd in run defense uh, on plays around the edges, and they were 31st on plays up the middle. So they just had all sorts of problems wherever you went. This season, that has changed. Up the middle, they're most most players are going up the middle at right guard. They were averaging just 2.7 yards per game up the middle. So clearly, that direction they've kind of solidified that. They're, that's third best in the league. Um, so I just wanted to point out some of those differences. Um, particularly first down, those big runs, and, and where people aren't getting the yards this year uh, before I kind of open that up for, for discussion from you guys. Okay, so, so I know we're, we're going to get into the personnel, but big picture right now, Scott, you first and then Ellis. Would you attribute this, and, and there's other things, but is it more a scheme adjustment or more personnel changes? If you had to pick one of those two, which is more responsible for this improvement? 
in a lot of ways, we're seeing the same setup we did last year, right? Because Joe Woods came in and he kept the 4-3 defense, and really it's mostly been two linebackers on the field. So not as much of that has changed. You've had your front-line players, uh, at least your front defensive line on the field together throughout these first four games. That didn't happen over the second half of last season when the, the defense really went into the tank. So that in itself has, has been a big difference, just having those front-line guys out there and beyond that, and we'll get into a little bit with some of these players who uh, are, I think are making a difference. It's, it's certain players playing better and it's certain positions having more of a say in how the Browns excel against the run versus last season. So Ellis, when, if you would have looked at this defense before the season and looked at how Joe Woods wants to run a defense and looked at here are the guys who are going to be on the field. Would you have expected this? Did this feel like a team that would be better against stopping the run than a year ago? Yeah, that feels like a good transition into the personnel topic that I think will largely dominate this conversation. Um, the short answer is yes. Uh, we can just look at the linebackers they brought in. We've gone at nauseum about how they aren't that strong in both pass coverage and lateral quickness, but these guys that they brought in, BJ Goodson headlining that group, can stop the run. And then the, the talent is built up front, but the things you can't predict when, you know, when you project this going forward are jumps like Larry Ogunjobi's making in a contract year, the jump Miles Garrett's making. And that's why I think, sure, you can say players are, like I just put the little qualifier in there that it's a, it's a contract year for Larry Ogunjobi. That might be a little unfair to Joe Woods and Chris Kiffin, the defensive line coach who are clearly putting this team in situations where they can succeed. I mean, we talk about Miles Garrett racking up sacks by the way he's moving around the field. That stands true in the run game. This is a, a, a talented and creative defensive front, and Joe Woods is bringing what they did in San Francisco with the 49ers here to Cleveland, and that is translating both in run stopping and then Miles Garrett getting after the quarterback. And Scott, it's hard sometimes when you're analyzing trends and you're looking at stats and it's early in the season because you can have one game that doesn't really mean anything. But I don't know, something like this. They played Lamar Jackson, Mark Ingram, J.K. Dobbins. They played Joe Mixon. They played Ezekiel Elliott. So, so this feels kind of real to me in that it's not like they haven't played any good running backs or other, any opponents who are supposed to be good at running the ball. Yeah, that's where I think early on in the season you're – some circumstances can maybe lead to, to what you're seeing in the numbers. Um, you know, they've played games against teams who have had to rally a bit, which can skew things a little bit. As we go on here, we'll see uh, that, that uh, how, how that's kind of played out as far as how often teams are running and how often teams are passing against the Browns. I'm glad Ellis mentioned the Niners. Uh, people talk all about their pass rush, but they were, they were really good against the run last season too. Uh, they were top 10 in most metrics. In that regard, so it wasn't simply just uh, Joe Woods is coming here with the knowledge of how to rush the quarterback as a defense. He he saw what a good run defense uh, could do last year. Do we want to get into some players first, or did you have something? Yeah, else? well, let's 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 get. It. Oh, go ahead, go ahead, Ellis. Yeah, just real quickly, Doug. I'm really glad you mentioned the competition uh, the Browns have been facing, both from a talented run, runner standpoint, the running backs and the offensive lines. I mean, we might not have time for something like this, but when are the Browns going to allow a hundred yard rusher? I mean, the, the, the bulk of these running backs are talented guys they've already faced. And like Scott said, we're kind of teasing that teams have more of an advantage passing on, on this group, but it, it's really impressive what they've been doing and they've been containing talented backs. I mean, this, these aren't scrubs. Ezekiel Elliott was non-existent on Sunday. And that, I mean, you just can't say enough about how talented this group is and how fantasy football opponents are not going to want to start running backs versus this Browns defense. Derrick Henry's coming down the road, but yeah, it's not like they, they there's not 16 Derrick Henry's on the schedule. They face <laughs> Derrick Henry's and they, they stop them. So let's get into the personnel, Scott. I want to start and then you can go, but, and we've talked about this a lot. We've talked about BJ Goodson a lot on this podcast, but they did go, did they not go from kind of a, a, a linebacker, a middle linebacker who was better in coverage and maybe wasn't as much of a run stopper in Joe Schobert to a guy in BJ Goodson who was more of a run stopper and not as good in coverage. Is that part of the personnel here or not really? I think losing, losing uh, the two guys who played the majority of snaps at linebacker has, a, has something to do with this, but maybe not so much in BJ Goodson's case as much as Sione Takitaki. He had just 105 snaps last season. He played really well against the run, but again, he was hardly on the field last year. This season, we've seen a lot more of him, and he's continued to play well against the run. Um, so that has been a big help. And then you again, you add Sione, or you add BJ Goodson in there, and you have an improvement over last season. Both starting linebackers last season. If you want to talk 
PFF grade, Schobert and Mac Wilson graded in the 40s against the run. And as you probably remember, anything below 50 is considered a placement level. So these are two guys who really struggled against the run last season. Of the top 10 graded Browns run defenders last year, defensive linemen and linebackers accounted for just two of those positions. And it was Richardson and Olivier Vernon. And Olivier Vernon was at the very bottom of that. And as you remember, he had struggled to stay on the field for most of the season. This season, there are five defensive linemen, linemen and linebackers in that top 10. So instead of having defensive backs being the guys who are, who are trying to keep things together in the run game, it's the people, it's the front seven that are doing more of their work uh, this season. And I think uh, Ellis mentioned it really has started with Larry Ogunjobi. He took a step back the last couple of years and he had that arm injury to deal with, but uh, he is up to 80.1 in his run grade this year. Second best on the team at time behind Adrian Claiborne, of all people, who hasn't really been on the field a lot, but has really graded well across the board. I mean, if they play Adrian Claiborne more uh, as the season goes on, I think they're, they're probably going to benefit from that. But, uh, but Ogan Joby has just kind of been a different player this year. It isn't so much that he's racking up tackles for loss or anything. He's just playing smart and staying where he's supposed to, um, not getting blown off by blockers, not – being the guy who's who runs too far upfield and, and, and leaves leaves a hole for people to run through, he's he's getting the job done. So he's him and Takitaki, I think, are the two guys who who stand out the most out of this group. Did we think that this was a purposeful shift of the Browns saying, "Hey, we want linebackers who can stop the run," or did it kind of just happen? They didn't want to pay Schobert. Christian Kirksey was getting old. Mac Wilson's been hurt this year and hasn't played that much. And so the guys that they're putting out there are Goodson and Taki Taki for the most part, and they just happen to be better against the run on purpose or kind of by accident. I think getting Goodson, if you're going to bring BJ Goodson on your team, tackling is a huge part of it. And drafting Jacob Phillips uh, also is, uh, is something leading that way too, because that's kind of was, was his deal in college. So those two things are going to make you a better tackling team Phillips hasn't been able to get on the field very much, but when he's been on there, he's tackled well. So those two things have, have worked. Last season, again, linebackers tackling was not good, and it showed in, in how well teams were able to run against them. Yeah, that, Doug, that's, sorry, that's 100% on purpose, and, and here's why. Uh, Jacob Phillips will be their, their prototype linebacker they want going forward. Um, shocker, this team wants linebackers that can do both, both stop the run and cover that's a lot harder to do than in, in practicality. But where I'm going with this is think about Kevin Stefanski and how he runs his offense. He knows how difficult it is to stop an offense that successfully runs the ball. We're watching that happen on offense. So when you're building a defense, that same philosophy exists just in reverse. He's not going to pay linebackers that can't stop the run because he doesn't want to get ran on. He doesn't want his defense to get ran on the way he runs on opposing offenses. So for me, just understanding Kevin fancy's tendencies and where he values his philosophies, he wants his linebackers to play like his tight ends are. And I think the Browns will eventually get there through the draft. But when it comes down to it, clearly he made a choice to pay run-stopping linebackers opposed to coverage linebackers this offseason. So are the Browns zagging when the whole league is zigging or whatever you're supposed to say with that? that this, I mean, this is a pass-happy league, right? And that we've covered on this podcast very early on. Ellis, I think the first episode, your point was the Browns should run the ball with their tailbacks on offense more than any team in the league. Is this a philosophical – Ellis, you just outlined it. This is a philosophical both sides of the ball, across the board, run first, franchise mindset? Is that correct? And, Scott, is that a winning mindset in this era? Look, they also grant, they also drafted Grant Delpit, who you know they want the hybrid guys. So I think the more teams have success, like the Niners and the Ravens, and you know we saw what the Vikings did last year. Everything's cyclical, so it, you could say that that it's it's going that way. I don't think it's to a point where most defenses are going to be built with the idea we need to stop the run. But the more success the Browns have, and the more success those other teams have, that's the kind of thing that that starts a trend, and that's what the NFL is all about. It's what works now and, and when the offense finds a way to, to make that work, the defense has to adjust. Yeah. Kevin fancy came in here and showed his hand right away. He said he wants to win up front and everyone that are, you know, you take that as an offensive thing because you see this play caller as an offensive guy, but he truly means he wants to win up front on both the offensive and defensive lines that if you look at this team's cap space, the way it's distributed, that's where the money is. It's in the D line, the O line, same with the draft capital. And I'll leave it at this. 
it's a philosophy that is not necessarily taking over the league, this run scheme, but you look at the Titans, the Niners, the Vikings, and, and now the Browns, Kevin Stefanski is, is calculated as they come in the terms that he knows that dominating the run limits your chances of mistakes on offense and gives you the lowest floor in success most likely and puts you in a spot where you then are competitive in a, in a playoff game. That's the goal. Make the tournament, right? Now, quarterbacks like Pat Mahomes and Tom Brady are winning the Super Bowls. Is this a, a philosophy that can get you to the winning a Super Bowl? You know, the Niners were a few throws away from that and this whole theory would be out the window. But it's a philosophy that low that keeps your floor quite high, and that's exactly what we're seeing from the Browns, both their run defense and the offense in general. One player we haven't mentioned is Andrew Billings, and it's probably worth mentioning him, the fact that they went out and got a guy, another guy, to to uh, be on the interior of that line. And he wasn't a, a star in Cincinnati, but run defense is something he, he did better than other things he had to do there. And then, of course, Jordan Elliott, they really – focused on up the middle, making sure that they had people, new people that, uh, that could rotate in because, again, they had real big issues up the middle last season. One point I wanted to mention, though, Tavier Thomas, fifth best run defensive grade on the team, and that's probably a clue on why he's out there so much, uh, why he's the guy who's been getting the call as the, as the nickel corner. We wonder how long is Tavier Thomas going to be covering people on this team, and so that, that, that could be a reason why he's – he's getting that call over maybe some other people because he has played well against the run. And yeah, just they, to note, Andrew Billings opt out this year. So right. Yeah. Right. Right. Like they signed him with the intention of him being a big part of this run defense. And he's not this year, but he might be this year, but next year, but it goes back to the philosophy, which is what you're talking about. You guys are talking about, this is not by accident. Alice, go ahead. Yeah, no, hundred percent. I just wanted to say quickly, I think Scott and I just comboed there to completely knock your question out of the park, Doug, because with the signing of Billings, Jordan Elliott, and the way that this run defense is performing clearly and, and the Tavier Thomas point, I really like that one, Scott, this defense is built and predicated on stopping the run and on offense, they're running the ball. It, it, the deck's been set really for this team to keep playing that way. So you guys keep Ogunjobi around now for a while? Yeah. You, you ready to. to lock him up? I, okay. Hold on. You can't say you have to, because the draft is where this team wants to, wants to build. But if you can get him on a, a friendly contract, uh, they probably would have liked if this regime would have been here a year ago, they would have liked to probably get this deal done last year, but it's just, it's so much unknown with the draft and how and Andrew Barry is going to play this out. But point being, he's playing like he deserves the money and, and someone's going to pay him if it's not the Browns. Okay. So here is, and, and this is, uh, this is brilliant. If you said, okay, the Brown to the Browns, what is your plan to hold Ezekiel Elliott to 54 rushing yards in your game? And they would say, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to let Dak throw for 502. Okay. Huh? How about that? How about we let the quarterback throw for 502? Take that, Zeke. Ha <laughs> ha. So this is leading into your third point, Scott, which is, and I want to get into the, you know, hey, I did some film stuff on the site. Did you guys see my post? I had, I had yellow circles and orange circles. Yellow was around the Cowboys and orange circles were around the Browns. Maybe, Scott, is this your final point? Maybe they're so good at stopping the run because nobody runs on them because everybody can throw on them. Right. So here's the unanswered question. Try to follow this. Do the Browns have a good run defense because the pass defense is bad or do the Browns have a bad pass defense because of all the stress put on it because they actually do have a good run defense. It's like a chicken or the egg thing. So, so here's some numbers on that. The Browns uh, opponents have passed 124. They've attempted 124 passes against the Browns. That's fifth most in the league. That's eight touchdowns uh, on passes, which is second most in the league. And as we said earlier, it's like 91 teams are averaging 91 yards against them. Teams are averaging 23 and a half rushing attempts per game on the Browns. That's sixth fewest in the league. So it's about four yards a carry, which isn't the worst, isn't the best, but it's four yards a carry. Um, a, an important thing I think that they really stuck out when I was looking at how teams are approaching the Browns on, on first down. Uh, last year, it was, it was pretty even, but it was still leaning towards running. Most teams ran on, on first down. It was like 248 to 221. It was roughly the same. This year, teams are passing on first down 86 times. They run on first down 48 times. So teams are coming out clearly with an idea that we can get 
our receivers in space. We saw that with the Cowboys. It kind of goes back to one of the things Ellis um, wrote and, and talked about uh, on an earlier podcast about how, um, you know, you get those linebackers, try to get them out in space and just those screens and, and the bubble screens and just out in the flat and the Browns have trouble with that. And uh, that seems to be working a lot better than trying to run against them. And again, like I mentioned before, you have some teams so far in these wins that have had to rally a little bit against the Browns. So you have guys, you know, like Joe Burrow throwing 61 times and what Dak Prescott did on Sunday, which can kind of skew things. But I think at this point in the season, it seems clear that teams know they can, they can pass on the Browns and getting the running game going maybe not be top priority. So I think the deal with this defense is they, when they're putting 11 guys on the field, they are putting mm, several below average guys on the field in that 11. They're also putting like mm, two or three or four like superstar level guys on the field. And that the strategy is maximize the opportunities for the superstar guys to make a play while trying to make sure the below average guys don't absolutely kill you. And I think, and we talked about this before, and this was the point of what I wrote on Monday. Maybe they are just willing to give up 12 yard passes all day. We're not going to let you establish the run because there's sort of like a physical thing to that. There's like a dominance thing. We're not going to let you just run us over. And they are in the top 10 in the league in fewest big pass plays allowed. So we're not going to let you just throw 60 yard bombs and get easy ones. That soft middle, like quick slants and, and bubble screens and throw to the tight end and all that kind of stuff. Oh, all day. That's there. Good luck. Pile up the stats, but we think we can win that way. And I think that might contribute to why they're stopping the run. And that I think it's, I think it's both of what you said, Scott, that it's, is it, are they good because they're bad or they're bad because they're good? I think they're this because they have to be because with their personnel, you know, whether it's purposeful or not, now that they are in this position, this is the way they have to play. And I think maybe, I don't know if it'll work, but I don't think it'll kill them. So I think this strategy might be right. What do you think, Ellis? Yeah, Doug, when scheme is successful, when players are bought in and teams are organized and ready to play on game day, football really becomes Madden. Or in other terms, follow the money, follow the, the best players, the overalls. Sheldon Richardson makes the third most amount of money on this team at $13.6 million, followed by Olivier Vernon at $11 million, and Miles Garrett is fifth, but we all know the extension he signed. He really is the highest paid player on this team. So it would make sense once scheme works, once players are bought in and the team is coached and disciplined, that your best players would play like your best players. Follow the money. That's where the assets are. And then, hey, we can throw in Jordan Elliott, who had, a, according to PFF, a, a poor game versus Dallas, but his first three run game defense grades are, you know, in the 65-70 range. That's a third round pick. So we're talking the th three of the five highest paid players on this team on the D-line, followed by Jordan Elliott. And then a guy like Adrian Claiborne, who Scott mentioned, who's playing well. And then Larry Ogunjobi taking a jump and demanding now a, a contract that would probably get him into the top 10, top seven or eight of this team. So those guys are paid, but guess who isn't paid? These linebackers ain't paid. These safeties ain't paid. Andrew Sandejo, Carl Joseph. And outside of Denzel Ward, there's not many assets at corner either. Follow the money, Doug. And so I do think, is this, that's, that's your, I mean, that's the Ellis Williams credo of life. <laughs> Never lost, follow the money. So is this old fashioned? This makes me feel like Woody Hayes, whatever. Like you, when you throw the ball, three things can happen and, and two of them are bad. There is a little more inherent risk to throwing the ball, right? So that if you can just run on a team, six yards, six yards, six yards, six yards, six yards. I mean, every now and then a guy fumbles, but really if you can establish that and you're not stopped, nothing's going to ever go wrong. Even when the Cowboys were throwing the ball and Dak threw for 500. And this was the point, you know, they had a drive where they marched 84 yards down the field and they hit a bunch of easy stuff. And then they had a play where Sione Takitaki dropped in coverage and got his hands on a ball over the middle and he tipped it and almost picked it off and CD lamb caught it off the deflection. But man, that was almost a pick. And then they had a touchdown on that, on that to end that drive where if Andrews and Deho is a half step faster, he might pick off that pass to Amari Cooper. Instead it's a touchdown, but they were close they gave up an 84-yard drive, but there were like three or four plays, even for a bad pass defense on that drive where make them execute play after play after play after play. And all you need is one thing to go wrong. Maybe Miles Garrett gets in for a sack. 
You know, one person, one DB gets his hand on a ball, all of a sudden it's third and long. Where if you just run like the Browns are, when the Browns are running at their best, it feels like you're never going to stop them. So if this is the strategy, stop the run, don't give up 60-yard touchdown passes, and give up the soft middle of the passing game, I'm there. And it feels like, again, you guys are saying purpose to this purpose to this because here's the thing with the browns as much as everybody's excited about the browns they cannot be good at everything not yet they're trying to be good at like 40 percent of the things they've been good at nothing for 20 years they can't be good at everything so i think stopping the run and then some of the other stuff scott right does it make sense to you that if they're trying to be good at something this is something they're trying to be good at stopping the run so they don't get run over the same way they run other teams over Right. Yeah. You haven't seen that drive against the Browns that you've seen from the Browns here uh, more than once this season where they've had six, seven, eight carries in a row on a drive. You haven't seen that against the Browns. And again, I think the key here from the defensive standpoint is you want to make the teams have to pass instead of just want to pass. And the Browns have been in that situation, like on that drive, you mentioned, you know, these teams who have to pass to get to, to catch up. And you know, we've talked a lot about the defense in this, in this segment, but the offense has something to do with this too. And the fact that the Browns are scoring and putting uh, the other team in a, in, a, in a situation where they have to kind of keep up. So that has certainly helped compared to last year as well. But yeah, I mean, the more teams have to throw, the more opportunities you're going to have. Like, like you talked about these, these near interceptions or just getting your hand on a football in some way. And I think as you get some players more healthy and, you're, you're able to have more options in that secondary and that back seven, you, you could see more of that. Guys who are maybe a little more athletic than, uh, than, than Goodson and, and Takitaki who've been out there a majority of the time. So Scott, do you think this team over the course of this entire season will be good at stopping the run? I think so from everything we've seen so far, unless, <laughs> unless uh, for, for some reason they become – they, they flip the switch on pass defense and, and teams maybe put more of, a, of an emphasis on trying to, to run. But it seems like teams are coming out now and it's like, all right, we know we want to move this ball. We're going we're gonna to have to pass. And I don't see that changing. And Ellis, within the limitations of this defensive roster, is this a reasonable plan to win on the defensive side of the ball? I think it's reasonable. I think it's sustainable. And I think it has to be. And Doug, I'll give you one more thing. This defense is really good at creating turnovers. They're winning the turnover battle. uh, What plus five versus Washington plus three versus the Cowboys. So if this team is going to create opportunities for the offense, limit teams mentality to run. Cause I, unless you're Cliff Kingsbury, every football team at its core wants to run the football. You already laid it out. It's just easier and some more simple to do than putting the stress on, on a passing offense. A lot more has to go right in the passing game than in the running game. And, and I'll close on this. They're built this way. And if the Browns are creating turnovers, limiting the run, and are able to win close games, I mean, that's what the Seahawks have, have made a decade out of. So, you know, I'm not sitting here trying to say the Browns are the next Seahawks, but I'm just saying this is a way to win games. And if, we, if, if the Browns sit here and put together close wins, but they're coming out on that side, we then can say, all right, look, this is how they're signing up to win. They're going to give up points. They're going to give up big plays, but they're not allowing teams to establish the run and they're turning the ball over. And so far that's a winning formula. I am always skeptical of turnover margin because I think there's, there's enough things in analytics that would tell you turnovers are random and it's hard to count on them. And I sort of believe that. I also believe that Miles Garrett strip sacks are not random and those are real And I also believe that Denzel Ward, like breaking on a ball once or twice a game and reading a route and the the exact, the game ending interception against the Cowboys, right? I mean, he just, he attacks the ball in the air sometimes. That doesn't feel random. So some of this is like, listen, sometimes Dwayne Haskins puts a ball in BJ Goodson's chest. You can't count on that, but I don't know. And and we can, I'm sure that we'll get into turnovers. I'm sure we'll have a turnover segment at some point this season, but Scott, right. That, Yes, random, but also there are some turnover creators on this defense. Yeah, I think the important thing to, to know about the turnover margin this year is that they have six fumble recoveries. They had six all of last season. So the fumble recoveries, I think, is more where you're, you're making the effort. You're making the difference there. You're, you're poking the ball out or it's a strip sack as opposed to, you know, a lot of interceptions like we saw with Haskins is just, you know, flat out bad throws or, or whatever the case is. I think those fumble recoveries – Enforced fumbles are what you should probably watch. And 
the more of those that happen, the more you know this defense is, is making an effort to, to get turnovers. All right, we're going to stick with the run game, but we're going to go to the offensive side of the ball and talk about what the Nick Chubb injury does mean or doesn't mean for the Cleveland Browns. We'll be right back after this on Gotta Watch the Tape. Back on Gotta Watch the Tape from Cleveland.com, Doug Maurice, Ellis Williams, Scott Patsko. Let's dive in, Ellis Williams, on Nick Chubb and what the Browns are going to do now that their number one back is injured for several games. All right, y'all. I'm here to tell you that the Browns offense will be, air quotes, fine in the absence of Nick Chubb, and that's largely because of the talent of this Cleveland offensive line. We just spent the last segment talking about the assets that the Browns have invested in their defensive line, and the same holds true for the offensive line, and they're playing like that. We've talked at length about Wyatt Teller on this podcast. Scott did a great job on that last week, and that, again, holds true. There isn't a weak link on this unit. As a team, they graded out at a 92 overall versus the Cowboys last week, and look, that's really as good as it gets individually. Again, Teller. Scott had this, the number one run block, run blocking lineman in football, according to PFF. He has a 93.7 grade right now over four games. Jack Conklin is the 10th ranked uh, running lineman at 84.2 overall. Center J.C. Treader comes in at 33rd overall at 76.2. Then left guard Joel Petonio at 52 overall with a 72.7 grade. Surprisingly, Jack, Jedrick Wills comes in at 154th uh, with a run grade of 58.3. But looking more into that, uh, really, he had a bad week one. And then I haven't had a chance to watch him specifically on the tape. But PFF gave him a, a tough grade against Dallas this week also. So that's two bad grades sandwiched between two, you know, like 65, 68 overall games. So I don't think there's any reason to worry about Wills there. But it does explain why the Browns are probably running right so much compared to behind Wills. So before we get more in, in depth on this, really, what is there to worry about? This team has proven that they can run on anyone and they have the best offensive line in football right now. So before I get into my other points, I, I just want to throw it to you guys. And, and Doug, I'm curious what you think, because you, I know you got into this with uh, Mary Kay and Dan the other day. Uh, are you worried about this offense with Nick Chubb? Just simply, what's your concern right now? I, I feel like we're in the, Clinton Lewinsky testimony, and we're going to have a 40 minute discussion on the definition of fine. What does <laughs> fine mean? You so, want me? No, go ahead. Go ahead. Here's my general point is this they lean on their run game more than any team in the league. They give the ball to their tailbacks a ton. They've given the ball to their tailbacks like 35, 35, 32 times a game the last couple games. One guy can't carry that load, especially when Kareem Hunt has a little bit of injury stuff. And they're so reliant on this run game, I'm not sure that fine is good enough. So the idea of can they be fine? Maybe they can be fine. I don't know that they'd be three and one if they were only fine so far. They look good because they're great at this. And I looked up some numbers that I don't quite understand on yards after contact for running backs. And Nick Chubb seems good at it. Although I found some conflicting numbers and I'm not really sure he does do some stuff on his own that I think a more worn down Kareem hunt, if he's asked to carry a whole load instead of split it, you know, in the fourth quarter, he won't be quite as fresh. And then your number three tailback now playing a more significant role. They're just not going to be as good as Nick Chubb on that. So it depends what fine is. Cause I'm not sure fine is good enough. Scott, what do you, what's your view on that? Here's what fine means. Fine means to Ernest Johnson averaging 7.3 yards a carry. That's what it means. I, I don't see them skipping much of a beat at all. And it has a lot to do with the way they've used Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb this season. We, it's not like they needed them both on the field together and they were using them in tandem. And that's how they were wrecking teams. It was uh, one for the other for the most part. Um, and Kareem Hunt, has done just about everything that Nick Chubb has done in his career. And they're both excellent at, at avoiding tackles and breaking tackles. They're both uh, excellent at yards after contact. Um, I mean, they're, we're talking like top five every year, except for last year when Hunt just didn't have enough to qualify. And, and again, Kareem Hunt, you know, the year he led the league in, in rushing, he, he also had 53 catches that year. And the next year he had seven receiving touchdowns. So, I don't see this being a situation where the Browns uh, become some sort of different offense and, and, and struggle now that Nick Chubb is out. I think this is where we realize that the Browns really had a luxury that nobody else in the league has. How many carries, though? Like, how many carries? So here, I guess here's my question. If they had 
Chubb and Hunt in an average game combined for 32 to 35 carries, right? What's that breakdown now? Is it, is Hunt going to get 25 and Dearness Johnson gets 10? Is, is it going to be 20 and 15? Is Hunt going to get 28? Or are they not, are they going to throw it six extra times because they don't have two running backs like that? That, and if they throw six extra times, you're putting more on Baker Mayfield. Is, is, are they going to be good doing that? That's, I, I'm curious about the play breakdown because, again, you know, there's, there's not, they don't have, there's not number one backs out here carrying the ball 29 times a game. That's not really what most people do most weeks. So, Ellis, how do you think, I don't, I don't think this is on your list of points. Little waggle. How would you expect they break that down? Do they run it less with the tailback or no? Doug, I actually was ready for this one. It, it oh, kind of can't yes. get one past Ellis, baby. <laughs> Not on a Tuesday. Look, th- this has a, a, a lot to do with my third point and why I think it's so important that the Browns keep featuring three running backs like they did on Sunday because protecting Kareem Hunt is, is, should be the top priority of this offense outside of winning games, of course, and moving the ball. Um, as for a specific touch breakdown, I'll say this first with the carries. Kareem Hunt is probably going to sit between now – 15 and 18 rushes per game. And I don't have any issue with that. I have more of a concern with how the snap count is delivered. So when I get into why I think it's so important that they should split three backs, which we're essentially getting at now, I want to be clear that it's about play count and play number of plays around the field and snaps more than it is carries. Um, Last week, Hunt was on the field for 35% of the snaps. Uh, Johnson 23, Hilliard 20, and then Nick Chubb another 20. So that's really, you know, 20% of those carries now we have to figure out where they're going. Let's look back. Week two, Chubb was on the field for 36 snaps, Cream Hunt 20. That got way more balanced in week three, 34 snaps for Nick Chubb, which is 54%. Cream Hunt 29 snaps, which is 46%. So what I'm saying is the Browns need to, in order to protect Cream Hunt, they need to limit the amount of time he's on the field because, I mean, Correct me if I'm wrong. Nick Chubb got hurt in pass pro, right? He that was a passing play from for Baker Mayfield, and someone just rolled up on him. So this isn't about oh we need to be safe and controlled with Kareem Hunt. I'm not saying to reel him in. The Browns need to unleash Kareem Hunt, but they need to do so wisely by limiting just the amount of plays he's on the field. So when he is on the field, it's going to be maximum usage. But I think an ideal breakdown saying the Browns run on average 65 plays per game. That's, that's what they're at right now, which is exactly what uh, Kevin Spancy was doing in Minnesota. Shocker. Ideally, we're looking at 50% of those snaps or 31 of them, about 31, going to Kareem Hunt. 19 to 20 snaps going to Dearness Johnson at 30%. And then Hilliard's going to have to play 20% of these snaps between 13 and 15 in probably more of a, of a pass pro. And I need to look at the tape to see if he can handle that type of stuff. But keeping Kareem Hunt safe in that 50% range of snaps shouldn't hurt his carries. It's just going to keep him out of his own way at times and out of the way of fluke plays like Nick Chubb, which is why that's how I see this breaking up. It's not going to be Hunt carrying the ball any less, but it's going to be Johnson and Hilliard sharing the field more. And then Johnson's going to have to keep playing almost as a Kareem Hunt light as Kareem Hunt now steps into the Nick Chubb role. All right, so we're jumping to your three-headed monster thing because we did. I, I did take it there by accident, sorry. So here, but here's, here's the thing. Christian McCaffrey gets hurt in Carolina. Oh, he's, he's out there, and they've won their last two games. Saquon Barkley gets hurt for the Giants. He's out for the year. It's a low-scoring game. Their offense still stinks, but they hang with the Rams the other day, right? That we, there are, and I, I would assume this is part of anybody who thinks the Browns will be fine. You have to be influenced to some degree by the many examples over time of great backs and other teams getting hurt, and their offense is being fine. But in this specific instance, for both of you, you're cool with Ernie D and Hilliard getting that many snaps? Like, you're fine? I know DeErnest Johnson looked good against Dallas. You're totally fine with him getting that many snaps. No issue at all. Scott, no issue? No issue. No issue? No issue. I think the the snaps, I got to see more of DeErnest Johnson before I'm all in. But uh, he has certainly made a jump this year. We saw uh, him – kind of standing out even before the season started when they uh, in practice and in scrimmages. And again, that's not real competition, but he was, he clearly is a different player compared to what he was last year. We have to see more of, of, of him and more of him doing the things that he did against the Cowboys. 
but his snaps could increase. I don't think that like it's been like say 20 carries Chubb 15 Kareem Hunt roughly. Right. I don't see, I don't know yet if they're ready to have Turnus Johnson get like 15 carries a game and, and a few targets in the past game. I don't know if they're there yet. We're going to find out when they play the Colts, if that's really the plan or if, or if they're going to lean on Kareem Hunt a little more, but I think I'm fine. I'm not thinking that this offense is going to struggle because again, I know what Kareem Hunt has done in the past. I've seen what he's done this season and whether they give him more of a, of a focus in this offense or whether they keep it same. I think it's, I think they're fine. You're totally fine. Alice. Doug, we have to be fine with this. Browns fans have to be fine with this. And Kevin Stefanski has to be fine with this because they don't have all that much of a choice. We can't forget that Kareem Hunt is injured right now. He is, you know, questionable all week, didn't practice Thursday. And Kevin Stefanski was very specific in saying Kareem Hunt is a tough player, which means he's pain, playing through pain right now and that he managed to get through the game. They have to protect Kareem Hunt because this is exactly the scenario as to why Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt weren't sharing the field in the first place. Kevin Stefanski knows this offense completely changes if he doesn't have both those backs. We will, the, we, I will not be sitting here saying they'll be fine if Kareem Hunt all of a sudden leaves the game in the first quarter or the second quarter because now he's nicked up. That's not an option. So that's, why, that's what makes being a GM and, and, and then Kevin Stefanski game planning, that's what makes these jobs so truly difficult because you have to have one foot in both the present and the future at all times. You know, they have to go out and try and beat a Colts team, but they also have to think about Pittsburgh next week. And then they have to build this team to be peaking in November and December as if they're a playoff team. So look, it, it really works out like this. If Kareem Hunt is eventually going to miss some time due to this injury or just by chance of getting banged up later, you have to push that probability out as far as you can so that Nick Chubb's healthy after the bye week. And now, okay, Kareem's may miss some time, but now Nick Chubb's back. You have to tailor this and accordingly and account for the risk. So just unloading Kareem Hunt and giving him the full workload to me sounds like a reckless decision Kevin Stefanski won't make. Hey, real quick on, uh, you mentioned the groin injury. I'm glad you did because if he's healthy against the Cowboys, we probably would have seen more of Kareem Hunt. We might have seen less of Dernis Johnson, especially in that fourth quarter. Hunt's last carry in the third quarter came with like three minutes left, and there was this long stretch where he wasn't out there, uh, and he definitely wasn't getting carries. And that's when you saw Hilliard and Dernis Johnson kind of take over the run game for a while. I don't know if that's really the case, if, if Hunt is, isn't dealing with that groin injury. So, again, we're, we're kind of basing what we think this could be on what we saw from the Cowboys after Chubb went out, but it, it might be more hunt than, than we're thinking. So if, so if he's, if he's healthy this week. So we, we want to get into the, the idea of maybe they won't be quite as explosive, which is something you've, you've mentioned to us, Ellis, but I do just uh, along these lines, looking at the, uh, the PFF rankings team run blocking grades through week four, the Browns lead the league at 88.1. And it's like way ahead of everybody else. Ellis, how would you describe your breakdown of when you have a successful run game, the way the Browns do, what percent of that? I'll give you three categories. And I like to put you in a box and, and you're not allowed. There's no, there's no multiple choice. There's no fill in your own answer. I know how you millennials are. You always <laughs> want to fill in with your own answer. This is A, B, or C. Give a percentage to each one. A good running team. What percent is the scheme? What percent is the offensive line? What percent is the running back? Oh, man. All right. So talent is the, the, the core of what makes a football team good in its most simplest way, right? And you saw Kevin Stefanski and Andrew Barry prioritize that. So I'm going to have to go with, you know, 50% is just overall talent. You have to have the guys there in order to make the plays. Then let's just, because I'm not a math guy and you're having me do percentages here on a live podcast. I have a calculator. I have a calculator. <laughs> let's just go with a simple uh, 25% distribution between then scheme and players. And I think that's a good transition into highlighting first the scheme. This Browns team is running a lot more than I, I anticipated they would. We, we have, you have said they should lead the league and tailback carries. They're running even more than you thought. Nope, 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 nope. You didn't let me finish there, Doug. They're running even more of a complicated scheme. Uh, oh, I'll stop interrupting. That's my generation. That's, 
Generation X, we're jumping in all the time. Sorry about that. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. The millennials now, we're trying to listen more as we as we get older here. I'm working on it too. Don't worry. Yeah. Um, they're running way more of a com- more complicated scheme than anticipated. We all knew that it'd be wide zone left, wide zone right, but they're having a lot of success with uh, some power, some counter tray looks that I'm not necessarily shocked that they're installed i'm just surprised at how well they're running it this early in the season when you see jedrick wills pulling from left to right and leading up and i know i, I highlighted that after uh, the cincinnati game there these are this is far more of a complicated scheme than just oh they're running zone right oh they're running zone left these guards are pulling wyatt teller's leading at times as i already said jedrick wills is doing so and then i was watching get up this morning and they had a highlight of donovan's people jones uh motioning inside as almost an up back and pancaking a, a Dallas Cowboy uh, box safety nickel defender. I mean, this this is an overall complete scheme that is working, and that is why you, you – and it, it's Bill Callahan, and that is Kevin Stefanski delegating his work to someone he trusts, respects, and he knows knows far more about the run game than him. And you combine that with the players buying in, that's how you get that 25%. And now I think this transitions well into why the 25% talent is – imperative to what the replacement level production of Nick Chubb's going to be essentially where this is going to come down to and start hurting the Browns is in explosive plays. P- Browns PFF had this where Nick Chubb's leading the league in explosive runs. Um, I believe he has 14 runs of 10 or more yards right now. And you see, and we all saw it. Nick Chubb was on to a, probably a career day versus that Dallas front and the, the, I put it on Twitter the other day, the Browns probably rush for 400 if Nick Chubb finishes that game. So to answer how this, this segment started of what fine means, the Browns are still going to be averaging four, four to five yards per carry. They might flirt with six at times. But the days of seven, eight, nine yards per rush, unless Kareem Hunt all of a sudden is 100% healthy and is getting 22 carries a game, which I don't anticipate – those monster averages are done because that's what Nick Chubb does downfield. He extends plays. The, the line's job is to win at the line of scrimmage and create one-on-ones with safeties. Once Nick Chubb gets to the second level, that's all Nick Chubb for the most part, outside of an impressive lineman getting downfield, which always grabs a highlight. You know, Dearness Johnson and Dante Hilliard are not going to be doing that, which then I'm not going to make this a Baker topic because we probably don't have time, but it is going to come down to the Browns facing more challenging you know, third and sevens, third and eights at times because, you know, Hillary just isn't going to pop that big run. And last thing here, the reason Nick Chubb's explosive runs are so pivotal and, and, and a focal point of the Browns offense and a luxury that is now gone is because any offensive coach will explain, it will admit this. They don't know when a run play is going to pop. They don't call a run play knowing, oh, this one's going to go for 35, but you keep calling them at that chance that it's going to happen. And that is the luxury of Nick Chubb because those big plays come far more often because he's Nick Chubb than they do with a replacement level running back. So I just want to, again, I, I, I'm dangerous. I found some stats online. It was on Roto something, but it was after contact yardage. It was like average yards after contact. 2018, uh, Nick Chubb first in the NFL. 2019, uh, Nick Chubb first in the NFL. 2020, uh, Nick Chubb first in the NFL, according to those stats. That seems like a big deal. I don't think it's just what you said, Ellis. So the idea of like, they're going to be fine, you know, except they're not going to have those 30 yard runs anymore. Other than that, they'll be fine. Like, that's like, well, that's like, maybe our definitions of fine are very different than Scott. Like that, this explosive aspect of it, the yards that Nick Chubb gets on his own, right? Miss, we're gonna, that, they're going to miss that at least some, right? Okay, well, first thing, and you're true about that, he is excellent at getting yards after contact. His rookie year, he, I, and I was looking up the stat while I was talking earlier, I could not find it, but he was second in the league with fewest yards before contact in the NFL as a rookie, meaning he was doing a lot on his own that year because the, the lanes weren't there. He had to kind of create them, and, and there were arms, and he had to run through and, and that. But the stat you just mentioned that you looked up, I don't know if you noticed where Kareem Hunt was on those lists, but – I'm guessing he would have been high there. PFF has an elusive rating, which takes forced missed tackles, yards after contact uh, into, into their formula. And they, they come up with this rating and um, you're right. Chubb is, is very high. He's in the top 10, top five on those. Kareem Hunt is currently fourth on that list. Chubb is eighth. 
Kareem Hunt has been in the top five in that stat, this elusive rating, every season except last season. And that's because he didn't have enough touches to qualify. If he had, he would have been first in the league. So, again, Kareem Hunt can do a lot of those things that Nick Chubb does as far as avoiding tackles, yards after contact, making people miss. And that's why I think we're kind of leaning towards the Browns are going to be okay. All right. I, I didn't subscribe to the full stats on this for, for 2020. Let me look here real quick. Nick Chubb is first in yards after contact. Let me see if I can find Hunt. He's uh, Kareem Hunt actually led the league and avoided tackles as a rookie. Kareem, Kareem Hunt second. Nick, Nick Chubb is first and Kareem Hunt second this year. So, so I guess that's, I guess that's pretty good. Then if, then if Nick Chubb's not playing, then I guess like Kareem Hunt would be, would be first. So <laughs> So here's, here's the thing. I, I think that the only reason that I think that I'm concerned about fine is because how amplified the run game is for the Browns. If they were just another team that kind of ran it a lot, right, then, and they have a, a, another all-pro level back as their number two back, you plug him in, you're, you're still great. It's just it felt like Ellis. Am I wrong with this? It, it just feels like to me so much of their identity the first four games that they said, listen, we have these two backs. And so our, our identity is having these two backs, not that we play together, but that we alternate, that we keep them fresh, that we use them a lot, that they combine for 35 carries. And you're pulling a component out of that. And so most of the time, if you were just a team that ran it, I think you would be fine. But the Browns aren't just a team that runs it. They're a team that running it defines everything they do. And so that's where my hesitation about fine comes in. Yeah, and look, I think it's important to mention that the schedule sets up for Nick Chubb not to really miss that many important games. So when I say they're going to be fine, it also implies that they're going to be fine until Nick Chubb returns. If Nick Chubb was done for the year, this would be an entirely different conversation, not just because the obvious, you know, he's gone for the year. It would change the entire dynamic of this offense. I'm saying that with the way Kevin Stefanski looks at the season, and I think all football minds should approach the schedule this way, you break it up into quarters. And the Browns' next four games, Colts, home at Pittsburgh, which is, which is the game. And, you know, we're really going to get into that, of course, uh, as it draws closer. But then you're at Cincinnati. You know, anyone's going to be able to run on them. You're really not going to miss Nick Chubb that game. And then you're not scared of the Raiders' defense, and all of a sudden you're at a bye week. So the context and the schedule may have a lot to do with why fine is going to be enough and look, versus a tough defense like the Colts, they're going to miss Nick Chubb. This is going to be a, probably an uglier, sloppier game, but it goes back to what I said. If the Browns are becoming a, a team that proves they can win these close games, then fine's going to have to be enough because for some reason I'm standing all alone here on Protect Kareem Hunt Island. You can't afford to have that guy then miss time getting into your third quarter of the season. So you have to protect the future while winning these next few games and that's the balance Kevin Stefanski striking and which is why fine is both going to have to be good enough and I think will be good enough so I don't think it's catastrophic right I don't think this is they were a playoff team and now they're not I don't think this is they were a running team and now Baker's gonna have to throw it 38 times a game and the offense is gonna look terrible like I, I don't think it's that but let me ask both of you this and we'll start with Scott do you think sometime while Nick Chubb is out, there will be a game where maybe Dernis Johnson has like nine carries for 19 yards and Kareem Hunt maybe looks a little worn down in the fourth quarter or something happens that by when the game ends, you think to yourself, boy, they missed Nick Chubb that game. Do you think there will be a game like that while Nick Chubb is out? I think where that could come up is what uh, Ellis talked about with the snap count and maybe uh, Kareem Hunt isn't as fresh as, either one of them has been, you know, late in the game here, because again, they're, you know, kind of replacing each other in a lot of ways. I don't think there's going to be a game where I think they're really going to miss Nick Chubb. I certainly don't think there's a game where we're going to say that around the goal line. I think they, Kareem Hunt gives them uh, more uh, on short rushing plays, especially in the red zone than, than Nick Chubb did at this point in his career. So no, I don't, I don't think there's a, there's a game where I'm going to say that. Ellis, do you think there will be a game that you say that? Oh, man, Doug. I mean, you know, in a worst-case scenario, it could happen as soon as this week. Uh, the, the Colts' defense is, is talented. They allowed, what, like 24 uh, rushing yards last week to the Bears, which is not an impressive offense. So I don't know if we have a, a complete accurate sense of the Colts' defense. So th- though it is our job to project forward, 
I, I could see the game being sloppy enough where the Browns can just do and have better players and essentially win the game. Pittsburgh limited Saquon Barkley to what, like 15 yards rushing in week one. And it, it got to the point where perhaps Pittsburgh knew what New York was doing, but you still held one of the most talented running backs in the league to his worst career day. That's the game where, you, where you're going to miss Nick Chubb. And that's the conversation where I don't know if that, that, that's the kind of conversation that swings a game. You need your best players on the field to win in Pittsburgh. And again, this comes down to also understanding what the trickle down effect is of my stance on protecting Kareem Hunt. You also then take Kareem Hunt off the field in just simple pass pro downs where he has an opportunity to be on the field in pass protection for a check down and he can make something happen. These, these other two backs are going to have to step up in the passing game in a way Kareem Hunt already was in Nick Chubb's absence. So I know we're talking a lot about the run game here, but these two backs, assuming they get the opportunity, have a lot to prove. And I'm, you know, that's why they play the game. We have to see what Dontrell Hilliard can do in the passing game now that he's probably going to be asked to do more in order to spell Kareem Hunt. So these things, of course, are all interconnected. But to, to get back to your main point about a, a, a weak carry game saying, oh, we could, you know, Kevin's fancy saying, oh, we could have really used Nick Chubb there. Those are looming against two pretty good defenses coming up. So listen, running back injuries happen. We just, I mean, Barkley's out for the year. McCaffrey's hurt. The Colts who were coming in here had a two-headed thing with Jonathan Taylor and Marlon Mack. Marlon Mack got lost for the year in the first game of the season. They're leaning on Jonathan Taylor as a rookie to carry their running load. I, I'd rather lean on Kareem Hunt, right? So I think there will be a game. I, I, I think I'm not trying to pre- be a doomsday guy. I just think there's going to be a game where Dearness Johnson does have nine carries for 19 yards. And I think it might be one of those things. We've seen the run game sort of put the Bengals away, put the Redskins away. I think it could be one of those things where the Browns have a lead. And in the fourth quarter, they're trying to put a team away with the run game. And instead of getting seven yards on first down, they get four. And then instead of getting five yards on second down, they get three. And now on third and three, Kareem Hunt on his 26th carry of the game gets stopped for two yards and they have to punt, you know, where maybe before if you were chubbing them and hunting them, you were just ramming the ball down their throat and you put a game like that away. Do I think it's disastrous? No, I will. I I will be happily wrong, happily wrong. But I just feel like there are a lot of times where we all do this. And I've done it a lot myself where a guy comes in, a backup comes in and looks good for a game. Listen, man, on that Thursday night game the other night, who was it? Mark Rippon's nephew was playing quarterback for the Broncos. Brett Rippon's playing because Drew Locke's hurt. And I don't know who else they have. They, that guy's hurt. So Brett Rippon plays and the announcer's like, man, Brett Rippon, he's worked so hard. He's really good. And then like he was good for two and a half quarters and he started throwing it to the other team. And it's like, yeah, because he's a third string quarterback and he's incapable of being good for four quarters. Dearness Johnson is a third string running back. He is not going to average seven yards per carry for the next month. He's not. Ellis put his hand in the air. That's my only point. I'm just cautionary tale. Cautionary tale. I think they may need a little more from Baker. I think they may need a little more from Baker here. Go ahead, Ellis. Yeah, Doug. First of all, if there's any game in these next four where Kareem Hunt is flirting with 26 carries, uh, I'm going to be watching with just absolute fear and worry because that is just I would be a sloppy use of what I now think is your most precious precious offensive asset and I'm really glad you mentioned Baker Mayfield's name because if the Browns are trying to run out a game in the fourth quarter your exact scenario and they're relying on Dontrell Hilliard or Dearness Johnson rather than putting the ball in the hands of their first overall quarterback Baker Mayfield then we're going to be having a conversation of what Kevin Stefanski really thinks about his quarterback. The funny thing about this conversation is we're talking all about the run game and Stefanski and Andrew Barry will tell you what, this is a quarterback centric team. If Kareem Hunt falters, I don't think it's Stern as Johnson. who needs to set up and step up. It's, it's Baker Mayfield. who probably needs to step up. All true. All true. And, and he needs to be capable of that at some point. But it's one of those things with all this. You'd rather like sort of let him step up than force him to step up. And this might force him to step up because it certainly wasn't the plan. And all it is, and, and, I, and I do this all the time on Buckeye Talk, like when we're talking about recruiting and that kind of thing. And it's like, oh, well, they're good at this. Like, you know what the plan is. And whenever you go have to go away from the plan, you can act like it's fine. And it's like, okay, it's fine. It wasn't your plan. 
this wasn't what you did. When everybody was healthy, this sure as heck wasn't what you did. So you're being forced to change now. It doesn't mean you're going to collapse in on yourself and lose the next six games. It means you're on plan B. And usually plan B's not as good as plan A. So I just would like people to be prepared for the fact that plan B might not be as good as plan A. I think they'll be, I was going to say, I was about to end this by saying, I think they'll be fine. When I've just spent 35 minutes, what's a, what is a slightly less optimistic adjective than fine that is somewhere between catastrophic and fine? I think they'll be, <laughs> they'll be cool. They'll be cool. It's going to be cool. <laughs> Generation X, as I say, everything's cool. They'll be kind of awesome. So um, I, think it's a, I think it's interesting to monitor. And if Dearness Johnson averages six yards a carry for the next month and looks like a guy who absolutely can be in a running back rotation in the NFL, open invitation to appear on Gotta Watch the Tape. Great. And that happens. That does happen sometimes where you have a guy who until he gets the chance, you didn't know he could do that. It doesn't happen every time. Sometimes you give a guy a chance and it's like, oh yeah, that's why we didn't give that guy a chance before. Um, Scott, anything to wrap this topic up and then we'll give Ellis last word. No, I think uh, you don't need two top tier running backs for this offense to work. I mean, Safanski made it work in, in, in Minnesota with, with one main guy in Dalvin Cook. So Nick Chubb is great to have and, and everybody would, I think, feel a little better about the Browns if he were still in there. But I think this offense is, is going to be fine with Kareem Hunt being the guy. With, with the asterisk there, as long as this groin issue doesn't become a bigger issue because they really then can't afford to – if Kareem Hunt is on the shelf, well, then, then we're – this is a whole totally different conversation. Ellis. Number one thing for me to watch is how they distribute both snap counts for this running back room on Sunday and then ultimately carries, catches, opportunities. If I'm standing alone here on Protect Cream Hunt Island, so be it. I think it's the place to be. If Hunt comes out and gets 25 carries, Scott, I think you made a great point about Dalvin Cook. Now that I'm thinking about it, I guess it wouldn't shock me. It just I don't think it's it's the right approach. It's not the long game approach. But it is about winning that week, and that might be what this Browns team needs against good defenses like the Colts and the Steelers. But again, I'm standing here on Protect Cream Hunt Island. I think it is so important that he gets to the bye week healthy. That's the Ellis Williams deep dive on whether the Browns will be fine without Nick, uh, without Nick Chubb. We will be back with quick thoughts here on Gotta Watch the Tape. All right, wrapping it up on Gotta Watch the Tape, uh, we'd like to give you a little quickies. We'll have a second Gotta Watch the Tape podcast on Friday as the Browns prepare to take on the Indianapolis Colts. Of course, make sure you listen to the Orange and Brown Talk podcast that is going on five days a week. Huge post-game pod. If, if you're not participating or getting in or, or absorbing that, I just think Browns fans, you're often ravenous for that instant analysis. And there's nobody better to give it to you than the people here at cleveland.com. Mary Kay Cabot, Dan Lobby, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams, Terry Pluto. Excellent post-game analysis. Make sure you're looking for that right after the games. Um, and then we're dropping in here on Tuesdays and Fridays. So, Scott, we will have another podcast before Friday, but what's, what's something that maybe we'll talk about on Friday or something else that's on your mind right now about the Browns? Uh, well, we're definitely going to talk about Baker Mayfield and play action. And I kind of teased that uh, last week on Friday, we're going to look into how he is not performing the way he was last year. That was a big deal. How much better he was last year in play action versus when he wasn't. And that really hasn't been the case this year, but in researching that, one of the stats that I came across that I wanted to point out is Baker Mayfield leads the NFL in time to throw this year. 3.22 seconds. Um, big jump from last year, 2.78 seconds. And yeah, it's not a lot, but when you're holding the football and looking for someone to throw to, it's a lot. He was 23rd last year, and again, he's first this year. Any guesses from you two on who led the league last year in time to throw? Deshaun Kaiser. No. No, I don't know. Pat Mahomes. No. Kirk Cousins. Hey. Oh, who was his coach last year? He was at 3.01 seconds last year, uh, leading the league. It's just one... One more of those connections that seem to pop up, you know, every single day with this team between uh, this season and last season with Stefanski. But um, and that, that's a weird stat because it's not just Baker standing back there looking throw. It has to do with mobility, too. And is your quarterback able to avoid the rush and, and rollouts and all that kind of stuff? But um, we'll probably get into that a little bit with the play action discussion. But I wanted to point that out. Good. I'll, I'll look forward to that. We have not done a lot with Baker so far. I'll, I'll look forward to that discussion for sure. Ellis, what you got? 
Yeah, I'm going to want to look at next week or as we look to this upcoming week, uh, how the Browns have capitalized and really made Odell into the, at least for the first four games of the season, uh, uh, the big play king of the NFL. They're maximizing how to use him, not just downfield, but we saw it on Sunday in, in the reverses and in and, and some trickery even. So I, I think unpacking the way Odell is now after we have four games, how he's being used and why Kevin Stefanski both is going to keep prioritizing getting the ball to Odell creatively, how and why that's happening is important. And we'll talk about if it's sustainable. I'm still, this is just a uh, random snap count stuff, but you just look at the, the guys who have played so much on this defense so far, Andrew Sandejo, Andrew Sandejo is first in snaps. Carl Joseph is third, BJ Goodson, fourth, Tavier Thomas, eighth in total team snaps on this defense so far this season. And, and they've played, you know, Zendejo's played 297 snaps. Joseph's played 282. That's the numbers for that. Kevin Johnson, 37 snaps. Mac Wilson, 33 snaps. Jacob Phillips, 29 snaps. Ronnie Harrison, 25 snaps. There are injuries in there. There are, you know, guys slowly coming back from stuff. Ronnie Harrison, you know, got here late, but they gave up a pick for him. I'm, I just continue to be curious about when some of those guys might get more of a chance. And it's hard because like Zendejo, you know, the first touchdown that they gave up against Dallas was just terrible safety miscommunication. Let C.D. Lamb run wide open down the middle of the field. But then Zendejo comes up and makes a hit on Ezekiel Elliott later in the game and forces a fumble. Like he's kind of, he seems to be constantly involved in stuff. A lot of times badly, every now and then goodly. But I just am waiting for some other guys that you thought might play more. So I, it's slow. Maybe it's coming. I'm just curious when we might see some of those snap counts change on the defensive side of the ball. All right. We appreciate you guys listening to Got to Watch the Tape. Uh, drop us a review on Apple Podcasts under Orange and Brown Talk. We certainly appreciate anything you guys have to say there. Make sure you're reading cleveland.com slash browns for all the great work that Scott and Ellis and Mary Kay and Dan and Terry and everybody else put out there. Uh, get subscribed to our, our Cleveland Browns, cleveland.com YouTube channel. There's some great videos that go on there from the podcasts. And we just really appreciate you guys giving us a shot here. So for Ellis and Scott, I'm Doug. Thanks for diving in on Gotta Watch the Tape.